Hey, Darren, have you been watching us on uh, the Electric Now app? I have. I haven't recently because I, I, I watch you pretty much every week when we're doing these things. But yeah, but, you know, <laughs> it, it's it's you know what I love about it's the Electric be, Now app? It's better it's on so video. It's so easy to use. It's, it's, it's better really on video. Easy. Download got, the app and you watch us. That's all there is to it. It's so and, simple. And a lot of other cool stuff, too. You go to the app store. It says Electric Now. You download it. And then it, in press, the United States, press the button and there it is. There it is. And you can choose, you can bookmark it. There's plenty of other movies and TV show to enjoy and episodes of all your favorite electric surge podcasts. So why wait, download the electric now app and start enjoying us anytime. If you're a fan of inglorious Trexperts, you're going to love Trexperts briefing room, a Trexperts new series. Briefing room. What is that? I was about to explain. Then you interrupted oh, me. I'm it sorry. Is, it's curated audio commentaries of classic Star Trek episodes from the original series all the way through Enterprise. You're going to love it as we explore the behind the scenes making of all these wonderful Star Trek episodes with cast and crew that you would never expect to hear doing audio commentaries on Star Trek. Sounds like fun. It will be. And you <laughs> can find it on the Inglorious Trexperts podcast feed and on the new Trexperts briefing podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Let's go see what's out there. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman from Inglorious Trexperts in the 430 movie. And if you're a James Bond fan, you want to pick up my new book, Nobody Does It Better, the complete uncensored oral history of James Bond and Spy Mania. It's a hefty tome and it's available now wherever you purchase books, audiobooks, and digital. Check it out. And I will renew your license to kill personally. Welcome to Best Movies Never Made, the podcast where we explore interesting and infamous movies that never quite made it to or through production. I am your co-host, Josh Miller, and with me, as always, is Mr. Steven Scarlatta. How are you doing today, Josh? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? Beautiful. Uh, we're excited because we are finally doing an episode that we've wanted to do since we started that show, and that is the story of the attempted sequels to Who Framed Roger Rabbit?, and with us today is one of the writers of many of those scripts, Mr. <laughs> Nat Malden. Um, you, you don't know Nat's name, I guarantee you've watched some of the TV shows or movies he worked on. Uh, he goes way back. He worked on Barney Miller, Newhart, one of my favorite shows growing up, Night Court. Um, he's also written movies like Dr. Doolittle with Eddie Murphy and Open Season, uh, The Preacher's Wife with Denzel Washington, which I was I recently just rewatched uh, the Cary Grant movie Bishop's Wife. Great. That, uh, great Preacher's great Wife movie, was an adaptation film. of. But uh, thank you so much for joining us, Nat. Thank you for having me. Thank you for finding me. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, let's 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 just jump into how you got into the business and kind of, you know, move through time with your career leading up to your your time spent working on these Roger Rabbit sequels. How how uh, how far back do you want to go? <laughs> uh, well, how'd you get into the business? What was your first like professional I, I, gig? I, uh, I was bleh. let's see, I, I left college uh, to go to acting school in New York in the early seventies, but I had a, like a year off 
and I was 19 and I came out to LA and through a, uh, a, a friend of mine in college um, who had a family connection, I got a job working for uh, uh, Chuck Jones. And it oh, was wow. completely, you know, out of the blue. And I, I really, I, I did not know that much about animation um, except for the cartoons that we all watched when we were kids. But, but the, the, he, he taught me more about character comedy than any live action person that I've ever worked with. And I didn't, I wasn't even an animator, but the, the, one of the first jobs that I had was he had a, a, a closet in his office. He had a, a, a great office at Sunset Vine on like the 12th floor. And he had a closet and inside the closet, there were about 550, maybe uh, 16 millimeter prints and they were old. And, and he said that my job was to run them all through the projector. And there's a squeegee solution <laughs> oh. that, you, that you put on it when you're either moving it forward or backward. And it keeps the film not from not being brittle. I mean, that's what I vaguely remember. Yeah. So in order to run it either forward or backward, I had to watch it. And, and I ended up in the, in the first um, three weeks of my job on top of getting coffee and getting Chuck shirts at, at Milton Eadie's and Burbank and all the other things that I did for the office, I watched everything that he had done. And, and, and then over the course of, you know, and I was, you know, I mean, you know what he did. So, yeah. you, know, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, going back to some of the really early stuff that he did, um, you know, all the way to the, the late fifties, and, and, oh, you know, as time went on and I worked at the office, if he was in a good mood, I would ask him a question about something. And, and I, you know, I basically learned a lot about staying true to character, which is, you know, as, as you know, before Chuck came along, Bugs was, you know, Daffy was bouncing off the walls and just being Daffy. And, you know, but Chuck gave them all rules. Mm -hmm. Bugs, couldn't, Bugs couldn't attack unless he was attacked first. Um, uh, the, the, he had a great line that said every, every night I go to bed dreaming of being bugs and every morning I wake up and I'm Daffy. And he had, <laughs> he had, you know, he, his, his, uh, he defended the violence in the Roadrunner cartoons once by, uh, trying to describe it by saying it's, it, it has more to do with, um, it has more to do with, with, uh, what was the line? He said the, the coyote uh, uh, embodies Santanana's definition of a fanatic, which is someone who redoubles his effort whenever he loses <laughs> his aim. And, 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 and he, he really loved these guys and he put thought into them and he gave, you know, a life to them that the other, and I, I'm not taking anything away from Frizz Freeling or Tex Avery or any of these, they're all geniuses. It's just, he came at it from a different way because he was a literate guy and did all kinds of things with, you know, theater and opera and all this great stuff. And, and so I really did learn a lot. And I didn't even know at that point that I was going to do anything even remotely resembling this. I went to New York, I went to acting school, I graduated in 74. I was an actor for like a month. It was terrifying. I just didn't have the, the I honestly, I, I went to five auditions and it was like, oh God, I can't do this for my life. It's just, I, I you know, so I, I, I left and I got a job in advertising 
Um, first is just a, an assistant, you know, answering phones and everything. And, and I, I, you know, I get up every, you know, here I am, I'm like 24, 25 and I get up and I put on my, my suit, my, my tie, and I come in and I answer phones for people. And these guys keep walking around, you know, down the hall up here going there and they're all wearing jeans and they're all wearing Stan Smith's and they're all wearing t-shirts and they seem really happy to me. And I'm, I keep saying, who are these guys? And they say, oh, they're the, the writers, they're the copywriters. And I'm like, well, how do I do that? And, and, then, and then I just started, you know, getting inching closer to, to offices and hanging around and trying to, you know, and then I started learning stuff and then I started doing it. And then I got, I worked for a couple of agencies and then in the late seventies, a friend left the agency I was working for and got a job at CBS and we were pretty good friends. And he said, hey, there's a show because you, you, I used to work in radio in college. And he said, you know, there's a show about a radio station that's really funny. And you probably have a funny story. So you should write it. You should try this. And it was WKRP in Cincinnati. And, and I wrote an episode. I, I, you know, just wrote it. I didn't know how to. I, I got it. He, sent, he gave me a script. So I just sort of copied how they did the script. And they bought it. And I couldn't believe it that I actually, you know, and, and so I, I quit everything and, and I packed my Toyota and came flying out West and then starved for a year and a half, just having no clue, you know, what it took or what anything. Anyway, all of that went, and the, the next, you know, job that I got, the, the early stuff was always the, the next job I got was a staff writer on Barney Miller which was the best television show I ever worked on and the best people I ever worked with. And, and two of them, the Tony Sheehan, who was the guy who produced it, Tony, even story better than mine, when he was 18 and in high school, he hand wrote a spec get smart on legal paper. Like with and a he pencil? sent it in and, 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 and um, uh, uh, Buck Henry read it and couldn't believe that anybody would send in a script on legal paper and then <laughs> called him and said before he, I mean, he was at, in, at Notre Dame High School. And he said, boy, if this thing gets picked up, we would like you to, you know, come work on the, anyway, the bottom line is, wow. is that he was going to, and, and, and he was that good that early. And by the time he was 25, he was running Barney Miller. I mean, he was really good. Tony and, and you know, Reinhold Woogie were the two guys that really, kind of ran that show in the, uh, in the seventies. But anyway, then, then another, uh, uh, another uh, uh, writing team, Frank Dungan and Jeff Stein did a, a whole lot of them too. And were really, really, they used to write for Jimmy Walker and a lot of other um, uh, comics. So they were hilarious. And Jeff and I especially shared a love of animation and, you know, Jeff knew about Chuck and then, you know, anytime, there was a festival in New York, I uh, mean, you know, a Looney Tunes festival at the New York. We would always go. We, we, you know, we talked about it for it, long story short. I work on, you know, I work on Barney Miller. And then because of Riney, I got it. You know, I got a job on Night Court and I was on Night Court for three years. And then I got a development deal at, at, at Fox and the first um, pilot that I sold to, um, CBS 
This is in, um, the first pilot I sold to CBS. Um, there was a staff meeting like two weeks after I sold the pilot to CBS. I saw a, a, a very funny comic at the comedy store who reminded me of something. And I thought, well, what a fun idea to do, to take the premise of Beverly Hills Cop and do it in reverse and have a kind of a spoiled white guy going to work in a, in a tough African-American neighborhood, you know, flipping it around. And it was one of those kind of gimmicky things that everybody went, ooh, right? So, so Leonard Goldberg, who was running Fox at the time said, when he heard this idea, he said, oh, that's a feature. That's not a pilot. You have to get that back. So they actually bought it back from CBS. And, and then I'm sitting in, and I didn't know any of this. I'm sitting in my office at Fox and the phone rings and it's Scott Rudin's office. And at the end of the day, I stopped by Scott Rudin's office because they asked me to stop by Scott Rudin's office. And, and, and he said, um, I know this sounds like coy. It's nice. Swear to God, he said, you know. So they, they, you know, think you, you know, this, this that we got this back. Want to make it a feature? You write features, don't you? And instantly went, oh yeah, sure. <laughs> and I had no. So I went out and bought. You know, I went to the bookstore and bought what's his face's book. You know, Sid um, Field. Huh? Was it Sid Field? Yes. Yes. And, you know, the three act, act one, page one to page 30, set up page third, uh, conflict resolution page, and I, just the formula stuff, right? So I'm like, I, I wrote it sort of based on that. And then, you know, Scott, um, I know that he's kind of in the doghouse, but <laughs> yeah. he was he was good. And, and, you know, in a course of two meetings, took all the stuff that was garbage, and there was a fair amount of it. And went like that and said, try this, 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 and this. And I was like, oh, and, and I did. And, and, and they made it. And, and it was, it was, it was everybody in it, you know, Richard Benjamin is one of the greatest human beings on the face of the planet. Uh, Anthony Edwards and Forrest Whitaker are terrific actors. It just didn't, it didn't come it, it, it was fine. It just didn't work that well. And that happens more times than not. I'm sure you guys know that. Yeah. But but before they made it, when it was going around town and everybody was saying, oh, you know, this is a, you know, a really good script and it's really funny and it's got, you know, pay thought, all that stuff. Um, uh, my agent gets a call from Donald DeLine, who is at that point at Disney. And and I'm told to go to a meeting at Amblin at that after that evening, right? It, and you know, be there at six thirty or whatever. So I pull into, and I I have a rough idea, but I'm not expecting what. Um, so I'm running late, um, uh, because because just getting through and all the way to the back corner of Universe, I didn't. I got lost. I get there and I open the door, and and sitting at the table was. Um, uh, uh, Donald and then David Hoberman and Jeffrey Katzenberg and Steven Spielberg. <laughs> and they're just sitting. And, and I, I, I instantly thought, do you remember, a, 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 the writer's name is John Lee Hooker. And he wrote a great film for um, that uh, Kevin Costner and, and uh, Clint Eastwood. And this goes back to the early eighties and he has a meeting. They're waiting for him at, 
at, at Warner Brothers and he's stuck on Barham and he opens the door and wasn't expecting Clint Eastwood and Kevin Costner to be sitting there. And his line was, boy, if this if this ain't a dollar waiting on a dime, I don't know what is. <laughs> and that's exactly what ran through my mind when I, I mean, it was it's when you're just a guy who's, you know, like working on TV shows and you walk into those faces. It was terrifying. And and, I, you know, within within 10 minutes, Seriously, within 10 minutes, I, I'm sharing, you know, a mutual love of animation with, with Spielberg, who obviously is an encyclopedia and, and, and was really enthusiastic about, yeah, as soon as he'd heard about Chuck and we connected and all the rest of that, we just started talking about different ideas. And this was, this was before Cruise. This was before anything. His, his, the, the, the first thought they had was, well, it's a, you know, it's a sequel. It's a classic sequel. You move up you know, a few years and Roger's a big star. And there's, you know, they talked about maybe an agent. And then I said, well, what about, you know, it'd be really funny to have like a Broadway Danny Rose for tunes and, you know, they can't, you can't get Porky Pig arrested and all of this stuff. So we ended up having a, you know, it was like basically a two hour dinner and, 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 Jeffrey and, and, and David, they didn't really talk. It was just basically Spielberg. And, and very quickly, I just forgot who he was. And I really had a good time. I really did. It was, it was like, wow, this guy is, you know, anyway. Wait, 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 um, I was going to say is, at, but the point you were having this meeting, had Roger Rabbit already come out or was yeah. it still in the works? Okay. So no, it had already no, come it out, come big out. hit. Yeah, it was a giant hit. And they were, they were, they were like, no, no, this is, we're doing a sequel. This is definitely happening. Right. So cut to what a couple of days later and I'm back at the and, and at this time, I'm st I still have my deal at Fox and, and, and Jeff and Frank are there and Tony's there. So we're all having lunch and I'm telling him about this. And then and then you, uh, Tony and Frank drift off and Jeff and I are just talking and we once again get sparked to the stuff that we love to do. And so and so I called my agent and I said, you know what, Jack, you you you're not going to like this, but I really want to do this with Jeff. I had, we, we, we just, I thought this was really important that, that because of all the time that we spent together loving all of this, that we should share this. And, and we were really close. We worked on tons of projects with each other after, after Barney, um, you know, they're, they're all great guys. So I was, I was delighted. So the following week we had a meeting and that's where, um, uh, that's when, and, and by that time, um, you know, Spielberg came in with the news that, that, uh, that, that Cruz was interested and, and like very interested. And so that was the direction they were going. And I'm sitting here thinking, well, if you've got the, the, the sequel to this movie and Cruz on board, I can't see this, you know, this has to get made. I mean, this is insane. And then we start talking about, it quickly moves towards, um, uh, one of the ideas that came up was what about not a, a sequel, but a prequel? How did Roger get to Hollywood? Because you, we wanted to do a, um, uh, the idea came up to do a war picture. So obviously you have to go back in time. And, and then a couple of pivotal things came up where we said, oh, this is great. You got to do a baby Herman cartoon before Roger. And he's working with this, you know, this string of awful, ridiculously mismatched <laughs> characters and he's baby Herman is like, where the hell is somebody who understand? And then, and then you cut to the farm in Kansas 
And there's this, you know, there's this the goofy guy who doesn't know he's a tune. And, and so this all happened in this meeting, right? And then we started talking about the army. And I have never in my life seen Spielberg react like this. Jeff said, Jeff said, you know, what would be great is have, have um, uh, Tom Cruise in a tune plane taking on the Luftwaffe. And, <laughs> and I have never seen, and I, not that I know the guy that well, Stephen was bouncing off the walls. He just thought that was the greatest idea. That would sell 5 billion movie tickets. I mean, imagine, you know, flying along, but then stopping and hiding behind a cloud as a, as a real, you know, Messerschmitt goes, all of that stuff, right? You, can, you guys can immediately envision this, right? So, so they said, that's, that's it. And then we went off and, and uh, then we went off and started, but, but, but you guys need to understand that, that that was step A, but then step B and D and F and G involved going so many different directions and doing so many different things. And I, I, you know, I think that there were at, you know, at one point this was more like singing in the rain there was a Norma Desmond character who stole Jessica's voice because she sounded like the, you know, female version of Wallace Beery. So she got wiped out of pictures. There was some murder mystery. I can't remember which draft that was, but it always came back to the tune platoon. It always came back to Swifty Cat and Black and uh, Swifty Turtle and Blackie Cat and all of these characters. That, and you know these guys because you've seen them before. You, you We didn't this part of it wasn't us creative geniuses coming up. We just sort of borrowed wonderful inspired stuff. And most of it, most of it, you know, I've been talking about Chuck for a mile and a half, but most of it, as you know, was borrowed from Tex Avery rather than, mm -hmm. rather than Chuck. But we, we did try to apply a lot of his, I, I tried to apply a lot of his tutelage, but again, you know, this is more, this is more the eyes going like this and the, and the, and the, you know, Swifty walks by and, a, and 27 safes come down and all yeah. of that stuff, because that's, that's what that, you know, it was more like that. And, and, but regardless, we, we did. Um, oh my Lord. I can't even tell you how many drafts we did. Um, uh, so tell me the ones that you, which ones so we you have read. two. And I was just going to follow up because I, you mentioned Tex Avery. I, I rewatched before doing this podcast the original movie, which was really one of the great technical achievements oh, in the past 40 extraordinary. years. Uh, but Bob Zemeckis, I was reading him talking about it, and he said a pretty interesting, succinct thing about his in his brain how he thought of the movie as far as the animation was going to be worked in was that Disney had the most like technically proficient animation. Looney right. Tunes had the best characters and yep. Tex Avery had the best humor. Mm -hmm. um, was, and it, you can really feel that when you're watching the movie. Um, but the two scripts of yours we have, one is called Toon Platoon. Right. And that's, I mean, basically it's everything you were describing, but almost split into two different scripts. There's Toon Platoon. That's the one where the Tom Cruise guy's named Richie. Right. He wants to be an actor. They both head out to Hollywood together and then end right. up joining the army. And the right. other one we have is called Who Discovered Roger Rabbit? And that's the one that has the Norma Desmond wanting Jessica's voice. And yep. in that, the Tom Cruise character is named Sid. And he's right. on, down on yeah, his yeah, luck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God, there were so many great things in that script. Sid, that's right. And he loved his tunes. He loved his well, guy. I thought it was fun. Is he's a down-on-his-luck talent agent who right. all his clients are black and white. 
right. the world has gone color. And he's <laughs> right. like, I need to get some right. color right. clients. And I'm like, yes. this is good stuff. I like yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and both of those have the same thing. But again, one of them, they end up joining the war, but where uh, the, I'll just call him the Tom Cruise character because I assume he would have been in either version of this. He ends right. up having to become roommates with Roger and in the same building, uh, there is a female roommate or uh, sorry, human roommate woman. Yes, Wendy. Yeah, yeah, uh, right. Isn't it Wendy? It was, it was Wendy Jessica and, one, and Wendy. Nancy and Weather and her roommate is Jessica and they end up right. like going on a double oh, date. Oh, oh, this is the one. This is the one I just remembered. She goes behind the Jessica goes behind the, the, the dresser. She's so embarrassed that she has to change into something seductive. And then you see her slipping out of her dress in that figure. And, and, you, and you cut to her coming out as, as who she is, right? And Swifty Turtle is standing there and just rocks backward yeah, and then falls back, on his, back and forth on his shell. <laughs> oh my God, uh, I remember that. But, uh, and I mean, they're, they're both like interesting in their own ways. The, the one that has Tom Cruise as Sid the agent, that has the whole running thing with baby Herman, yep. where he, again, you said he opens and he has like a horrible character that he's paired with and right. we keep Slappy cutting squirrel. back yeah we keep cutting back to him and he's always paired with some new one right. like you know slappy right. slug and then like right. you know yeah. switching the animals yeah. until he meets roger right but the, the war one the toon platoon i can definitely see why spielberg got so excited about it uh because it is pretty crazy and that one the tom cruise character the whole thing where he had washed out of the air force because he's afraid of heights. Right. And right. when they're in the army, he ends up becoming kind of the, the commander. Right. And, and, but there's and also a tune plane. plane who's afraid to fly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That was great. <laughs> and they have to join up to right. save the day at the end. Right. I like the idea of a tune plane who's yep. also afraid to fly. Right. Yeah. Right. I like the tunes that they're terrible soldiers. And they realize yes. as well. well How could they be good? They're well, tunes. that's the joke where because they're very good at like not yeah. getting killed, but but again, it's it's kind of like that great moment in the first movie that I thought like said so much about the psychology of the tune, which is they have that whole defiant ones bit where they're handcuffed together. Right. And then when Eddie's Valiant's trying to saw through the handcuffs, he's like, Can yep. you hold the table steady? And Roger just takes his hands out of the cup of and he's like, you could have done that the whole time. And he's like, right. only when it's funny. Right. Um, that's right. the whole thing they realize about the tune soldiers are worthless because they like messing with the German soldiers, right. but they right. won't kill any of them. <laughs> right. Of so course not. Of course yeah. not. Yeah. I remember the, 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 we did a thing with the, the, the Pathé newsreel that they showed in the, you know, in the black and white footage and a guy doing, yes, now we've got tune power. And he talks about all the great, oh, I remember that. Oh uh, boy. And what was um so yeah the the Toon Platoon uh is story by you and Jeff Stein. Oh, I was also gonna say you kind of mentioned some of the stuff he worked on, but uh he he created Mr. Belvedere, right? He did, yeah. Which was another favorite of mine. And he he also made the kids are all right. The is that correct or is that a different, I don't, different Jeff, Jeff Stein? He did a lot of stuff. I don't know. That was a, a documentary about the Who from the 70s. Right. Um, I, 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 the only thing I remember is that that we went over uh, um, all the Barney writers went over and in '88 uh, just before a Writers Guild strike and they had to get two Mr. Belvedere scripts in in a day and a half. 
So, wow. <laughs> so eight of us ganged up and had like 38 coffees and wrote two because they were about to go on strike and they, it was classic, you know? So anyway, I remember that. I remember that vividly. And then, and then literally a year later we were working on this. So that was but fun. The, yeah. But so you guys did story and then you wrote the tune platoon when we have, and then right. the um, who discovered Roger Rabbit script is you, Tony Sheehan, and Jeff Stein. Right, but but I I think honestly, guys, it was just the three of us. I don't yeah. know. It's, all the credits are like it was the three of us. We showed up every day at ten. We laughed our asses off. We had lunch. We laughed our asses off. We went home, and you know that's how it shook out. And <laughs> and uh, and we usually when you write umpteen drafts of something, you get kind of burned out and. And that really didn't happen with this. This was just, it was just so goddamn fun. It didn't, you know, it, it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a great ride. And I'm, I'm just really sorry that it didn't see the light of day, but you know. I think well, you and so many fans, because we were shocked that it never got a sequel. It was such a huge, huge hit. And we, 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 there's two, I have asked that question because honestly, the last one that we handed in, um, uh, th there was a meeting with with Stephen and everybody else, and you know it, the 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 tenor of the meeting was, "Well, you clowns finally nailed it." After <laughs> you know, and everybody was laughing, and he you know he really seemed you know that's how we left it, and we were like, "Well, you know this this is this is going to happen," it you, you know. So, you know, um, uh, we were we were we were sacked and rehired twice, I think, when this was happening that uh, Rob Minkoff did a, 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 a script because um, he was working at Disney at the time. And this was pre Lion King, obviously, but he was he he was uh, he was was an animator on on the original film and really talented. And also, I I do remember, uh, I vividly remember that J.J. Abrams did a draft too. Oh with, wow, um, he would have been with, a baby uh, at that point. With, he was he was young and he was with um, I I Jill Mazursky. Does that sound right? Was he? Did he? I think they worked together briefly when they were younger, and they and they did one too. But they they kept coming back to Toon Platoon and huh. and and whatever it was ultimately that they felt was missing that they felt or at least Stephen felt that we had really done it. Right. So now we're in the early 90s and then and then we all go on and we do different stuff. And and because of of because of this, because of the the Fox film and because of this. I ended up just working on movies and, and I, you know, was really lucky because once you get into your forties, sitcoms start, you're the older you get, the less employable you are in sitcoms. That's normally the way it goes. I worked on a few other shows, but, but I worked on a fair amount of movies until, you know, I, I retired probably what, 15, 10 years ago, but, but, um, you know, the, the, the Roger Rabbit thing just sort of went away and every, you know, every six months or so we're either playing cards or we're having, 
you know, lunch down, you know, downtown or whatever. And they, whatever happened, you know, did you hear from anybody? Did anybody call? And Jack would always call. So ultimately it went away. Two, two theories came up. I, I think that, I think that, that the second one is probably more plausible, but the, the first one that came up is, is that the early nineties was the time that, that Schindler's list was brought to the attention of Stephen. And I don't know how it got to him, but as soon as he saw it, this was like, I have to, this is just something that I have to do. And, and obviously you can't do that in naughty Nazis at the same time. Um, and I think that that was, that could have been a factor, but the, the larger factor, and I know this is going to raise more questions than answers, but I, I think that there's probably something, some plausibility to this as I worked on, um, I worked, oh, uh, uh, open season. I worked with Penny Finkelman Cox, who at that time was worked at Amblin. And she worked on uh, Shrek and a bunch of other things and knew everybody. And when I told her about my Schindler's List, you know, idea, she kind of shrugged and went, yeah, you know, he can do anything he wants and it doesn't, that's fine. It, I don't think that's a, she said, it's just, it was just money. And that, and that at the end of the day, by the time 92, 93 came along and Roger Rabbit had been out four years before, you had to remember that, um, uh, that, that Spielberg and Zemeckis and the, the gentleman that wrote the, the book that, you know, I forgot his name that Roger Rabbit came from and, uh, Which is a very crew. weird book for people yeah. who haven't read it. Who censored Roger Rabbit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. but whole it, different it, beast. Yeah, right. But 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 he. But anyway, the the three big players, including of course Cruz, were all um, uh, uh, pre-break gross. They made. They started making money from the time the film came out and the, the every dollar that, that the film brought in at the box office. These guys like got fifteen cents, and and that adds up fast. And, and, and Penny said something like the film would have had to have ended up grossing like 700 million in order for it to start generating the kind of income that those guys were ready to, you know, bet their money on. And when I heard that, I went, all right, well, that maybe sounds a little more plausible because it, you know, they, they're not, especially of that quality, they're not cheap to make. So, so you, your guess is as good as mine. Yeah, in, in terms yeah. of what happened, but those I are two good guesses. I kind of wondered too, and Steve, I wonder if you're about to say the same thing, because like, uh, especially for younger people um, who maybe didn't live through any of it, it's kind of weird to think back now that the 80s, Disney was kind of a little bit confused as a company. They were starting to do more adult things. And more importantly, I think Warner Brothers- You're talking started, about pre-Eisner, right? Uh, or kind of when he took over pre just Roger Rabbit coming out and right. pre Little Mermaid and stuff, right. the kind of Black Cauldron era. Right. They were doing more adult movies. Uh, they had Buena Vista for legitimate adult movies. But also I think Warner Brothers really, you know, to them, the Looney Tunes were these old characters and the success of Roger Rabbit kind of reinvigorated both brands. And I also wonder, because you look back, it's, it's amazing to, looking back that Warner Brothers allowed Disney to use all their characters. Isn't that amazing? Uh, and I wonder mm -hmm. if after that, it would have become just harder to get, like maybe they could have only used Disney characters, you know, hard entirely, to say. Entirely possible. When, when are you ever going to see Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny in oh, the same, it's amazing. you know, in the same, in the same shot? 
I mean, that's pretty remarkable. Well, and in and, and all of the scripts we read of yours, I should also say, just for some context, the Toon Platoon we read, read was from May 1989. Uh, right. The original movie came out in the summer of 88. Right. Uh, and then this, the one about the agent was from September 1990. So that showed right. you and full we worked year. On it another, another year and a half after that, I think the last one we did was like 91 or early 92. Oh, yeah. I did like a quick outline. Um, yeah. So what happened was like, they made a short Tummy Trouble in 1989 that came wasn't out. That, with, wasn't that Minkoff? Yeah, that came out with Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah, yeah, that was Rob Minkoff. That was really funny. And then in 1991, uh, it was announced that Disney plans to release one new animated feature a year, and they were going to do Beauty and the Beast, and then Aladdin was coming out, and then it was supposed to be Who Discovered Roger Rabbit, which could have been, they were aiming for maybe 1993. Right. And then the second book came out, uh, who plugged Roger Rabbit. And then in December, 1991, it, Spielberg kind of put it out there that they're looking to even do a third Roger Rabbit film based on the second novel. So it was kind of weird. It was like, wow, they're already talking about, you're already working on, you're in pre-production on your one. And right. Spielberg is now interested in doing a third. Right. And, and then uh, Roller Coaster Rabbit comes out with Dick Tracy. Right. I, I read I somewhere it's- that one. Yeah, and I read somewhere about that they actually wanted it with arachnophobia, but they ended up getting it with Dick <laughs> Tracy. And then, um, and then, what does it say? Oh, yeah. And so then in 1991, the director, Rob Minkoff, of, came, came in as director in right. June 1991. And then in August 1992, Starlog mentioned that he was off the project now. Right. And they were going to do another, I don't even remember the, the, the third short. It was called trail mix-up and it came out with a movie called a far place and be, i guess because that movie didn't do so well and that short wasn't really seen they kind of scrapped the fourth roger rabbit cartoon isn't it, that something i never heard of I, that either i know the first two yeah i haven't heard of the short or the feature it came out i mean i guess that's why we didn't yeah. see the short is because we didn't see that feature and I guess it was called a hair in my soup was the fourth one. And that got, that just got nixed. And then Never now it's nine, it. now it's 1993. And I guess this was when the one you were working on was eventually supposed to come out. Yep. Cause I guess it, it was also, it was going to probably take, it took three years to make the first Roger rabbit. And, you know, and now you're looking at, it's going to be like another three years to make yours. And so now as time is going and they're not green lighting it yet, it's like, when's it going to come out, you know? And then, I guess in 19, I guess in 2007, they threw around an idea that Frank Marshall said in an interview that he was going to go to Broadway and then they were going to come out to Hollywood. Oh, my God. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's uh, a bit of a, a, you know, like a you review know, element. Know, the, first, the first one, just to give you guys an idea of how terrifying this was, this was a, this was a, 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 a this was a story that Katzenberg told me they they did not know. You know, there's there's every film that you do. There's a moment between, you know, page seven and page 15, like five, 10 minutes in where the audience is asked to buy the premise. You know, it's offered to them. Right. And and obviously the 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 audience is asked to buy this premise the second that Joel Silver goes cut. 
you know, Jesus, baby, we're, we're never going to make finish this goddamn cartoon. Right. And, and you pull back and it's the live interacting. Right. And, 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 and Jeffrey said that they were so terrified that this wasn't, there was the first screening of this film was at a theater in Kansas city, Missouri and Disney went, I mean, the top brass at Disney went and stood in the back. And, and, and when you, when you heard and you pull back and it's a set, they just, he said, we held our breath. And then there was this wave of laughter that came through the theater and, and we all turned to each other and went, you know, Valhalla, we have done, you know, <laughs> we have, we have, we've climbed to the mountaintop and, and just imagine how much more um, a movie like the Toon Platoon would have cost to have made in 1992 and whether they, you know, I, whether they wanted to do it again. You know, I, 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 most of the time, you know, it comes down to money and, and, and I, you know, it's, it's easy to pay a, a little money and develop a film. And, 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 but when you really have to get down to it, and I guess that's what happened, you know, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry because I think it would, it would have made them a lot of money. Well, but, and it's a little surprise. I guess it's not surprising though, because Spielberg, one of the few people who really reached that place where every studio wants to make him happy, even if they're not working with him or don't have a history with him. Right. right. Uh, Cause I think without Spielberg on that movie, uh, especially cause you think of the nineties, they did sequels to every single Disney movie. They did those straight to VHS, like Aladdin two return right. to Jafar. Right. They even made right. a Bambi two eventually. Right. I think if Spielberg hadn't been there to be like, no, I don't want a straight to VHS or straight to DVD Roger Rabbit movie. I would not have been surprised if your Toon Platoon script turned up as any entirely animated, which right. wouldn't have made any sense because I don't know, I might have been uh, off your radar. In the 90s, I feel like they probably ended up doing this because the Roger Rabbit features didn't go anywhere. There was a TV show, I think it was called Bonkers. And the whole premise was about a Toon character paired with a human cop but it was an animated show. So they're both animated. Like it just kind of, it doesn't, you know, it, it, you can't say one character is animated and one isn't if they're both animated. It kind of, yeah. but you know, it was a kid's cartoon. So I guess different yeah, things. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't, I, yeah, I'm, I, I, I don't know what happened guys. I really don't. We, we, you know, every, like I said, every few months we were together going, you know, that was and and I think I think what what made it the, the only part of it that made it a little bit painful was the last meeting that we had with with Stephen, where he was like, we did it. You know, this is the, mm. the we were there. We did it. And, you know, thank you guys. And and uh, and that was that. So. Oh, well. Yeah, because I think, man, it would have been such a it, it's such a cult classic too because it's it's like when you're reading the script it's hilarious you keep saying to yourself like like you get it like just the right. fact that there's like a scene where this a tune falls out of the sky hits the splats against the ground and they walk over to the parachute on its back that didn't open and they write dud right. just like it's just <laughs> right. constant right. it's just constant these jokes and I'm like laughing because it brings me back to growing up with all those cartoons. Like it was what I grew up watching that type of humor. Yep. You no. Know? And I was just dying. Well, I did have a script. question. Speaking of all these tunes that we recognize, 
Um, and maybe it was different because the first one had already come out and it was a success, but when you were working on it, were there any rules of like, we can't, cause I know for the first one, they tried to get Popeye and characters like that. And unlike Warner brothers, those whoever owned those said, no, did you have like a list of characters you couldn't use? Um, we used Popeye in one scene and then the scene got cut. <laughs> I remember that. Um, I'm sure they regretted that after the movie was a hit, whoever yeah. owned Popeye. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to remember other, it never occurred to us. Any, anything, it was anything goes. We were so like, we were so emboldened by the fact that you could use a Disney character and a Warner's character together that any, any character that came into our head, if we could use it, we would use it. Well, you know? And speaking of, you're talking about it, the, the craziness of thinking that there was a scene with Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny, but just talking about creating these cross- studio mythologies i forgot the other important plot element that's in both of these scripts is that roger isn't going to hollywood to become a star he's looking for his mom because right. kind of like steve yes. martin in the jerk you know he yes. grew up on this <laughs> farm thinking he was a live action human uh and the end of both of the scripts we read is that he still hasn't found his mom uh, and he's giving like a speech now that he's famous at the end in front of Grauman's Chinese theater and right. his two and mom shows up and he's like, Oh, but what about my dad? There's and we bugs. pan over and there's bugs. Bunny. And he's like, so I was like, you're, you're, you're now making it mythology that a Disney character's dad was Bugs yeah. bunny. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, we, 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 yeah. Um, uh, we, <laughs> I do. I remember I'm just reminded of a, a, this this is how much fun we had in the beginning. This is how much fun we had in the beginning. I was just thinking about that first dinner that I had and we were talking about the different Warner Brothers characters and somebody in the room and I can't remember which one it was. And I said, you know, there's rules that you have to stick to with these guys. That's what Chuck was so good at. And I mentioned the coyote and somebody mentioned, and of course you can't do that because the coyote, Wiley Coyote never said anything. And I turned to Stephen right away. We locked eyes and went, Wiley Coyote. Super yeah. genius. Yeah. I like the sound of that. We did it at the same time. That's, that's how simpatico we were. And I was so, it, it is that, that's the part that's heartbreaking is, is that he really loved the guys, you know, and loved the characters. But um, anyway, oh, man. what are you going to do? I mean, it's still a great business guys, you know, look at yeah. we're, all, we're all sitting, <laughs> we, we can, we can make lots of money and dress, dress, spend our lives dressed like camp counselors. So, you know, it's not, <laughs> Things was, could be worse. I was going to ask you, and granted, I, have, I haven't seen any episodes of this since it was new, whatever year in the 90s it came up, but you created uh, the short-lived Capital Critters. I did. Uh, and my memory of that, I was like, oh, there's a little bit of the Roger Rabbit, because that wasn't that about like a country critter yes, who has to move. country mouse who caught it. It was, it was basically Mr. Mouse Goes to Washington, and we, we you know, that was done... Um, uh, Stephen Bochco was working at Fox and he had this idea and he approached me with the idea and, and, and we started talking about making a, a little political cartoon every week. And, and th th there, was a, there was a fatal flaw. Uh, you know, it, it really, basically, you can't do topical stuff with animation when you're doing, when you're trying to do good animation, you just can't, especially political stuff, because if it's six months later, nobody remembers and nobody cares. And, and it, I remember we, we worked with a, uh, uh, it was Hanna-Barbera. They worked with a place in Taipei and I went out there 
and the people were really nice and they did what they could and it, it, it didn't look the way that I thought it should have looked and all the stuff, right? But the big problem was is that anything that we did came back nine months later. So, so it evolved into, okay, we're gonna make a little Disney movie every week. We're gonna do this, we're gonna do that. And, and, it, and I, I tried to do evergreen topics like gun control and race and all of that stuff and and it it didn't work. It it didn't work. But again, that was that was something where you know there were there were a lot of really really talented people connected to that. And I I, I wish that you know, maybe if it had stayed on a, a little bit longer, it might have you know it, it might have had more of a chance. But I can certainly understand it was hard because the the, the when the animation looks like a Saturday morning cartoon and you're pl- you're doing a Saturday morning cartoon in primetime, people are going to catch that. The Simpsons, the, you know, d- d- South Park, th- they're crude by design. That's one of the things that makes them so great. Um, um, uh, but but y- you, you can't do the kind of fluid stuff that it just doesn't look right. I don't, I don't, it's hard to explain, but um, we tried. Anyway, that was fun. Botchko, wait, did Botchko do Cop Rock? As he well. did. That was an interesting he era for he him. Got to, he got to try. Well, when you have when you had his track record, yeah. you could do anything that you wanted. And so he tried. He he really did. And and his attitude was, I don't care what I mean, seriously, I do care. It, it, that didn't come out right. He cared deeply, but he didn't care about what people over at ABC were saying because he didn't have to. This, the guy had done Hill Street Blues and L.A. Law and NYPD. What? What did he? He, had, <laughs> he didn't have anything. He, he had like anymore. he had like eight shots or nine shots to do something, and you know whatever happened happened. And, he had and, a shelf full of Emmys, and 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 you know didn't need to didn't need to make anybody happy. So uh, he made himself happy. And, and, and I first uh, moved. I was going to say when I first oh, moved Steph, out. Steve. When I first moved out here, I was living in a house with like you know six other people. You know we were you know, brand new to Hollywood. My roommate was a valet driver and he ended up crashing his car while in a garage trying to bring it to him. Oh my God. <laughs> I felt so bad, but it's a great story now. But back then the <laughs> devastation when he came home fired. Oh, he they didn't get fired actually. No. They knew each other from way back, Bochco and Spielberg. That was funny that they, they, uh, they, they collided with each other a couple of times when we were all at Fox. That was interesting. Um, oh, wow. Uh, and now but, younger people are discovering Cop Rock on YouTube because they didn't even know. Is it that existed. right? Yeah. And they're like, this was a show <laughs> on primetime TV. Yeah. And I was like, yes, right. I used to watch it on primetime. Even, even as a kid, I was like, this is an odd show, but oh, yeah. I like weird stuff. Announced. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Steve, I was going to ask you, uh, is that where Roger Rabbit sequel ended in the aughts there, or has there been more? Um, I won't get into about it. it. I won't get into it too much. Um, it was just, um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a weird one because it's still being talked about. Like in the, like I said, in the nineties, it said that he was going to go be, be on Broadway. And then in 2003 USA today announced like, don't expect a Roger Rabbit sequel. It's not, those characters will never be able to be put together a game. Uh, again, it's too difficult for the producers. And then mm-hmm. in 2007, Frank Marshall told MTV news that he, he was still open to do it. And, um, and then he, and they actually, 
shot like they did some test footage in the arts of they were trying to digitally they were trying to use digital props you know and i think one other place i read i don't know if it's true or not they might have tried cg instead of animation but they did some tests i i just can't see, that's that's boy i don't know do you see cg this i don't see that i just this well, is it's like, tough because technically all the marvel and star Wars movies already are cg and live action hybrid so i don't think it looks well, back then though yeah well mm -hmm. even then but like there's something about the 2d live action interaction that there's it's such a stark contrast i'm sure yeah. now disney would be thinking how can we get like the toy story characters but again those those movies look so hyper realistic with the backgrounds that they almost are already doing the the hybrid yep yep yeah and then what was the other? Oh, yeah, and then in 2009, Zemeckis came back in and he said he was interested. And then he wanted to do the humans as mocap and then keep the cartoon characters in two dimensional and then uh, maybe what? do part of the movie in 3D. And then July 2010, like a year later or six months later, he's like, you know, maybe just keep do it like the original, have uh, 2D animation and live action people. Yeah. And then, in, and then in 2013, it was kind of announced somewhere that there was going to be a new movie with Mickey Mouse and Roger Rabbit called The Stooge, which is based on the classic Dean Martin, Jerry Lewis movie. Right. Never happened. And then in 2016 and on, it seems like Robin Zemeckis kind of keeps bringing it up. But he doesn't think, you know, of course, Disney's going to do it. But he seems like, you know, it, every time he had a new movie come out, he would kind of bring it up. It's like seems like he's still interested. So it's always been, you know, going down this list. It's like it's every few years. It seems like it just keeps coming up again. I guess everyone's still like, why haven't we got this movie? Why can't you do it now? You know, it would probably would it be cheaper to make now, you know? Or How is it funny? I, it, it, it not it, certainly not if you do a 2D, it wouldn't. And, and I don't, you know, um, and you, Toon Platoon, boy, that boy, that would be a, you know, $300 million movie. I mean, that'd yeah. be a fortune. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Uh, well, but now it's been it, so long that the stakes are almost higher, even. Like after the first one, the audience was really ready for it. Now, mm -hmm. now it's a classic older film. Uh, right. You always got to be careful when you try to do a sequel after so many decades. I mean, I'd still, I'd still I watch still watch it. I still see it guys. Yeah. I still see it. I can't, you know, right now, right now there are, there are so few things that would make a family get up off their ashes and drive to the AMC on a Saturday night and sit there with the popcorn because we're all, we're all sitting at home watching our 5,000 inch, you know, um, it's too easy just to sit here. So that, you know, this is the kind of movie that, you know, that I would, I would take my kids to eat popcorn and watch. I would, you know, I, I'm, I, uh, um, I just can't imagine that they, that, that it wouldn't be enormously successful, but what the hell do I know? Yeah. What I do mean, I know? <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I think, mean, I think that's pretty much it. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I don't know. I haven't been to Disney world or Disneyland in, in years. I wonder if he's still walking around there and I think the movie's on Disney plus, but it's kind of buried in there, isn't it? They, they, they I went with my kids. Um, Addie, yeah. how long ago did we go to Toontown at Disneyland? How old were you? Sorry. Uh, she was 10. 
So that's 17 years ago. We went to we went to Toontown in Disneyland, and I I just thought it was ridiculous because there was a cash register every 15 feet, and it didn't you know <laughs> yeah. it wasn't like it, it didn't it 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 didn't thrill me. Well, but, even that is it. It's kind of an odd thing because it's Toontown is named after the Toontown in Roger Rabbit, but I right. feel like the way. If you're a if you're a younger person who has never even seen or heard of Roger Rabbit, I don't even know that you would get that this was a reference to Roger Rabbit, other than just the name. Yeah, I, I, just, I can tell you my my daughter who is now 27 and my son 24, they only know it through through me because of me. And and you mention it to any of their friends, or 90% of them, their eyes would just glaze over. It's not anything that's in their you know, uh, it's 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 not on their radar screen. And it's not saying it couldn't, it doesn't, it doesn't mean it can't be, but right now it's not. So uh, having just rewatched it this week, it, it, it holds up. Well, it holds up great just as storytelling, but like the effects aside, there's like a, like any old thing with like when they back when they were doing blue screen before even green screen. So there was some compositing issues where you could like, it's kind of a thick black line around the edges of people. But other than a few of those, the effects look spotless. Like it's, yep. It's a pretty flawless movie still. Yep. Yep. Um, well, maybe on that note, we can end there. Thank you so much for taking the time to walk down memory yes, lane with us. Yes, thank you very I'm, much. I'm, I'm so sorry that it that it took so long. Um, you guys are great, and and it's been uh, uh, it's been fun reminiscing. It really has. Well worth the wait. Yes. Thank you for your time, man. This is great. All right. Well. See ya. Take care of that. Thanks. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us here on Best Movies Never Made. If you would like to follow us on social media where we often post uh, concept art and script pages and other things like that, we're on Twitter at Never Made Film and Instagram at Best Movies Never Made. Also, highly recommend that you get the Electric Now app, which is a free app that allows you to watch movies and TV shows and more importantly, video versions of our podcast and the other podcasts on our network, including the 430 movie and Inglorious Trexperts, the only Star Trek show for Trekkies with a life. I want to thank everyone here at the Electric Surge Network, including Bill Ritter and our producers Mark A. Altman and Dean Devlin. Until next time, this is Josh Miller and Steven Scarlatta saying we won't see you at the movies. This podcast is a production of the Electric Surge Network.